0: Welcome to the Anne Arundel County Police Department. What you are about to hear are real stories, told by some of the men and women who lived through them. Join us as we examine active, closed, and sometimes cold cases with an occasional look behind the badge. Our mission is to be informative and engaging with the goal of providing justice and just maybe closure to our victims and their families. I'm Chris Anderson, and this is the Crime Journal. Are you looking for a rewarding career, a way to
1: get back to the community, a workplace where every day is different? Anne Arundel County 911 Communications is looking for 911 call takers and dispatchers. Call takers interpret incoming emergency and non-emergency calls, while dispatchers are responsible for processing calls, operating telephones, and two-way radios. Salaries start at an upwards of $45,000 with a $5,000 signing bonus, plus an additional $2,500 with
2: prior experience. Interested applicants can speak to a recruiter at 240-278-6696 or apply online at www.aacounty.org forward slash police911. Do you want to be the lifeline to the community? Then we need you
1: saving lives one call at a time.
0: Hey, I'd like to welcome everyone to the show. I am your host, Chris Anderson, and you're listening to The Crime Journal. As we begin this episode, I'd like to remind our listeners that this is an open and ongoing investigation. Detectives are still following up on leads and actively seeking information. If you or anyone you know has information that can help us solve this case, please call the Anne Arundel County Police Department tip line at 410-222-4700 summer in maryland a season that evokes so many memories snowballs ice-cold natty bow brown paper piled high with steamed blue crabs lightning bugs and let's not forget beach traffic but for the family of 44 year old david hill the summer of 2019 will prove to be more memorable than others memorable for none of the reasons i spoke of a moment ago it was david's daughter that would ultimately report him missing to the Baltimore City Police Department on July 11th 2019, where he was last seen on surveillance cameras. But his story lies just off of 8th Avenue in Glen Burnie, in a small patch of woods by Sawmill Creek. Today I am joined by cold case detective Mr. Jason DiPietro. How are you doing, Chris? Thanks for having me back. I appreciate you being here. And we are also joined by the current Director of Media Relations, Lieutenant Jacqueline Davis.
2: Thank you for having me back.
0: So today we have gathered here to talk about David Hill. David Hill is another one of those unusual cases because initially it wasn't even our case. This, This case was initially reported, at least the missing persons part of it was reported to the Baltimore City Police Department. So how how did we become involved with the case uh, involving David?
1: So back up a little bit, July 11th of 2019, um the Baltimore City Police Department conducted a missing person investigation into the missing uh disappearance of David Hill. Um his daughter had reported uh, him missing and she had um last seen or spoke to him on or about June 19th of 2019. Um they did their investigation? We were not involved at the time because obviously he was reported missing in Baltimore City. But then, fast forward to September 2019, we had a witness come forward to us that indicated had additional information as to what had happened to David, and um, basically provided us information that led us to believe that he was uh, most likely assaulted and murdered here in Anne Arundel County. So,
0: so do we know why his daughter? Reported him to Baltimore City, or was that the jurisdiction where he, where they last saw him, or where she had last contact with him, or do we do we know why that went the direction that it did?
1: Yeah, so with a missing person investigation, it's where you're last seen generally is where you're reported missing, and in this case, um, it was Baltimore City who took the initial report. But once we got the information in September, uh, we started to move
0: forward with our investigation in cooperation with Baltimore City. And the the information in September was unsolicited, or do you want to discuss how we – What was that just
1: random? It was random, and it was basically – and another reason I'm glad you're doing these podcasts, it's someone that basically said, hey, i, I got to get this off my chest. I have information. I'm not going to hold it back anymore and provided us information as to uh, what possibly happened to him.
2: Now, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Anne Arundel County or where we're located, you say that this is an Anne Arundel County homicide investigation – but reported missing in Baltimore City. Where are we relative to each other?
1: So Anne Arundel County butts up the Baltimore City. Um, on their southern end, our northern part of the county hits their southern part of the city. So a lot of times we will uh, work in conjunction with Baltimore City, their missing person unit or their homicide unit, because there's a lot of overlay in our cases. Um, and that happened here in this
2: case. So for the information that you got, the unsolicited information, the Good Samaritan who came forward and said, hey, I have to get this off my chest, did he say that where this occurred was on that city line, one of those maybe Baltimore address but Anne Arundel County locations? or are-
1: it, it, um, Where we believed it occurred is in the county, on the northern part of the county near the Baltimore city line.
2: Okay. So you get this information, what what happens next? What do you do with it?
1: Uh, initially, uh, our missing person unit started running with this, um, and then we quickly joined in on the homicide unit is that, um, you know, we interviewed, found as many people as we could that knew David. Um, so we're interviewing friends of David, and David was, was homeless. He was living in a homeless camp. Um, so we started speaking to a lot of individuals who are homeless as well who gave us additional information. On top of that, we started going back through video surveillance uh, up in the city, trying to locate where he was last seen. And if he was last seen somewhere, who he was with. And our investigation, the last video we can actually find of him alive was found on June 21st, and he was by himself. He was picking up medication in the city of Baltimore.
2: So now, from our experience, you said that you know these people came from a, a homeless camp or um, the information came in that way. That does pr- prove additional hurdles for us, because a lot of times people are transient. They may be homeless because they're moving through the area or they are trying to find a, another place to go and then they end up going to a home and there's no way to, to track people or no records to be able to track people's movements. How does that affect your investigation or going forward with that?
1: Well, in this case, it was old-fashioned police work of boots on the ground, going into homeless camps, talking to the homeless people, uh, on top of that, some of the homeless people, they they have uh, mental health issues. So you have to deal with that as well. Um, and there was, you know, again, you, you said it exactly. A person may be at location A on Monday, but Tuesday rolls around and they're at location B and then C the next day. And you're constantly having to try to keep up with them because some of the people just don't have phones. There's no way to communicate with them. So you just have to literally get in the woods and go to the, uh, you know, the tents and then try to talk to people.
0: Yeah, and – We'll, we'll, I guess, we'll say the initial person who, or Good Samaritan who stepped forward. We'll, we'll refer to them as Witness One. And uh, in, in what I read is that Witness One provided us with Witness Two and Witness Three. And and what sort of information, if we can discuss any of it, what sort of information did you learn from all three that was of particular interest to you to kind of point you in the direction that hey, David is not just simply a missing person. So.
1: Witness one gives us wit- tells us this is what happened to David and then gives us witness two, witness three, because we always ask, well, who else knows about this? And they provided that information. So we go talk to witness two, witness three, and they give similar accounts, um, which generally tells us you're telling the truth. If everyone's story is roughly consistent, then you know it's probably good information, generally speaking. So based upon what witness one, witness two, and witness three said, we believe that uh, David was assaulted and murdered. Um, probably around Father's Day 2019, and that his uh, body was disposed of.
2: Now, I think this is a, a really good point to make to our listeners here, is, is you're being very vague specifically on what Witness 1, 2, and 3 said. And the reason you're doing that is because the way that you are going to be able to corroborate their stories or the way that you're going to be able to determine what additional witnesses who may come forward are telling the truth is by what information you believe. So a lot of times when we are releasing information, even just in the media world, we hold back certain information because that's how detectives are going to corroborate somebody who has firsthand or secondhand knowledge of a scene versus somebody that watched the evening news and picked up on that tidbit and are trying to come forward for you know their 15 minutes of fame or for whatever reason. So I'm assuming that's why you're not able to say what Witness 1, 2, and 3 are saying happened to David because you have to protect the integrity of this investigation and hopefully the, the subsequent prosecution down the line.
1: Correct. So if Witness 1, Witness 2, Witness 3 says, A, happened to David, and then we interview someone who says, B, happened to David, you have a big disparity. If we put out, generally speaking, to the media and the population that this is what Witness 1, Witness 2, Witness 3, and we laid it all out, then your your known facts are out there. There's only certain people that know most likely what happened to David, us, the police being one, and two, the people responsible for his disappearance too. So that helps us se- separate the fact from the fiction, um, which is why we don't put information out because we have to be able to decipher between the good information and the misinformation.
2: And that can be frustrating to, to some of our listeners and, and some of the local media outlets, but it is such an important part the integrity of an investigation, that certain facts, certain tips, certain details are kept close uh, because it does help sort fact and fiction and it does help in, in court and the prosecution. So for people that are getting frustrated saying, well, you're not even telling us anything, well, that that's why we're not telling anything is because there is, we believe, a murderer out on our streets or murderers, and it's important for us to A, get the right people arrested, the ones that are responsible for this, and then to help our partners in the state's attorney's office or the attorney general's office or the U S attorney's office, whomever takes the case, um, to help them have a successful prosecution of the correct suspect or suspects.
0: Yeah. Oh. Cause I'm sure that it's also mm-hmm. frustrating for the family and friends of these victims and these missing persons that, they might know more than what we're saying. And they're like, well, why aren't you saying this? Or why aren't you telling the public this? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm sure it's also frustrating for them to say, hey, I know the police know this information. They're just not putting it out there. But we we do have our reasons for, for not releasing certain uh, points of information because it would potentially compromise w- what we're trying to accomplish.
1: Yes, and we're always up front with the families of any case that, hey, there are certain things we're going to say to the media – and there are certain things we're not going to, and this is why. And generally speaking, families understand it. They get it because at the end of the day, they want not only, A, the person caught, but the person prosecuted successfully, and then that person or people go to jail. And,
0: and if we can, there was certain information provided by at least one of the, the witnesses that came forward. What, were, what was the homicide unit able to do with some of that information, and, and where did that take the direction of the investigation? So based upon what the witnesses told us, we were able to secure search warrants
1: for locations. Um, and items of evidentiary value were recovered. I can't get specifically as to what those are. Um, that led us to a general area of where we needed to focus our searches. And we conducted extensive ground searches and water searches because there was a uh, river near near where this area was, stream I should say. And we spent days searching that area with um, – Department of Natural Resources, our civilian partners, um, and local law enforcement looking for any signs of David.
2: So in this case, it's very frustrating for the family, I'm sure, because this is one of those strange cases where he technically is classified as a long-term critical missing in another jurisdiction, but we are investigating it as a homicide. How does that work? When can he be classified as a homicide? Who makes that decision? How does that process work? And is there anything that gets hampered or anything you can't do because it's not classified yet? Or are you able to do everything that you'd be able to do anyway? Does it not matter for you?
1: So for us, I mean, the person that classifies someone is deceased is an office chief medical examiner. In this case, we have not found David. So there's... They're not able to determine if he is deceased, his cause, and manner or death. Obviously, in this case, based upon our investigation, we believe, again, he was violently attacked and killed and discarded somewhere. Um, does it hamper us? It doesn't because basically when we go to do investigative things and get permission from the courts, we we tell the stories to the judge. And we tell them this is the facts as we know it. This is what person A, B, and C said. And when you get the whole narrative, everyone – you know the judge will say yes, although this person technically is not considered murdered because you haven't found them. It's very clear that something most likely happened, so it hasn't really ha- hurt us in that we've wanted to do things, uh, search areas that we want to, because when you have all the facts that the judges get to see, uh, they they say that there's enough probable cause to do what we're asking
0: to do. Yeah, no, because I know sometimes we hear of these cases where at some point after a certain amount of time, like there's no set time limit or no timetable, but I know that sometimes we hear, hey, after 15 years or 20 years of no contact with this person, that somebody eventually says, yes, we are going to officially declare this person as deceased because there's been zero contact with family, zero contact with friends, zero contact with law enforcement, zero contact with medical professionals or or, or whoever that could confirm that this person is still living and still active um ha, i mean ha, how, how does that happen and in and, and your experience as a as a homicide detective has that ever happened in any of the cases that you were involved with because you've been doing this you know almost two decades so yeah it has happened in the past uh there's one case where
1: we have never uh, found the person that's missing and the family actually went to the courts and petitioned to have this person rule dead and the courts agreed and actually declared her dead. Um, that can happen. It doesn't happen a lot. I can only think of one time in my career that I know it's happened. I'm sure it's happened more than once. But um, in this case, you know, I know um, his da- David's daughter's hold not hope that, you know, one day he'll pop up because, again, he was homeless. But she's she understands the fact that um, something bad very well may have happened to him. But she just – the big thing she wants is closure. Like what happened to my dad – and if something bad did happen to him, who did it and why, I'm sure.
2: So right now what we have is we have a dad, David, who was last seen buying prescription medication in Baltimore City. And then you got a tip from somebody just over the city line into our jurisdiction in Anne Arundel County who basically said, hey, David's not missing. David was murdered. That person says, gives you a couple other witnesses who are saying the same type of a thing to you. Is there anything else that you can give our listeners that might help jog their memory? Do we have any type of, a, a, can you give a better location of where this may have happened? Any frequent places that David may have hung out where if he is just missing and maybe doesn't want to be found, people can check um, anything actionable that, that our listeners can can do?
1: Yes. So David hung out in a lot of places, but a lot of times he, hang, he hung out in the area of Crane Highway and 8th Avenue. There's a, a large homeless population in that area. Um, we're hoping that this podcast gets to the homeless population, they listen to it, and more people come forward that can maybe give us that last piece of the puzzle so we can find David and find out what happened to him. Um, the one thing I can't stress enough, and I don't fault the person who initially came forward to us in September, but... We lost months. He was reported missing in July. This person didn't come forward till September. It's really important for people to understand that although we appreciate it, as you get real information that we're hoping this generates, the police contact us right away so we can get right on it, and they can give us a call at 410-222-4700. They can, of course, remain anonymous. And as always, the anne County Police Department is offering a $10,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of David and, um, you know, if he was murdered, the arrest and conviction of the people responsible.
2: What happens if he's never recovered? Let's say you are able to get tips that come forward. Let's say you're able to find enough corroborating evidence where you have enough probable cause to apply for an arrest warrant. Is it possible to charge somebody with murder without having a victim?
1: Yes. In fact, uh, this county has done it recently um, in the state versus Richard Brooks uh, with the help of Baltimore County was instrumental in that, their homicide unit. We were able to um, investigate the uh, disappearance of an individual similar to this where we knew circumstances, indicated foul play. Ultimately, the person was charged and convicted, and we never had a body. It was a no-body case.
2: So the important thing to that is if you have information of evidence, uh, hearsay, eyewitness, ear witness accounts of what happened to david it's still important for them to bring that to you even if they can't tell you hey this is where david is
1: right even if hey i last saw david roughly this time this location it helps us put together a timeline of where to focus uh, any future searches and um it it will hopefully give us that you know uh, homicide cases like a puzzle i like to say piece of the puzzle and everyone's a little piece. Some people are bigger pieces than others, based upon their information. But we have to put the whole puzzle together to get the whole picture to make it a successful case to prosecute.
0: Yeah, and David wouldn't be hard to miss. He was a, a big guy. He was yeah. described as like six four to six six. Yeah, oh, people wow. described him as about six five six six. He's a, yeah. he was a big guy. Wow. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how much more we can we can discuss. It's one of those cases where you you, you have challenges um, based on um, the, the evidence that we have and the the, the nature of David's lifestyle um, is is kind of hard to track. You know his movements. There's no like electric bills. There's no water bill. There's no you know uh, paper trail, so to speak. You know uh, to to kind of indicate where he's been or where he was going between even before uh, this occurrence and up to today. So um, if, if anyone has any information at all, you can call the Internal County Police tip line at 410-222-4700. And once again, Detective DiPietro, I appreciate you being here with us today. Lieutenant Davis.
2: Thank you for having us again.
0: It's a pleasure as usual. Thank you, Chris. And uh, I'm sure we will have another discussion about another case at a later time. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Three summers have come and gone since David's disappearance. His family members remain hopeful that his case will end with an overlooked explanation or simple misunderstanding, but they're fearing otherwise. There have been no visits with family, no conversations with friends, nothing at all. A father, who no longer stops by just to pick up the mail or spend a few more precious moments with his daughter. His name is David Hill. We'd like to take a moment to thank our listeners for joining us. Cases like these are often solved with help from the community. Once again, if you or anyone you know has information that can help us solve this case, please call the Anne Arundel County Police tip line at 410-222-4700. I'm Chris Anderson,
2: and you've been listening to The Crime Journal.